Hi everyone, it's Maddie. This week's episode is our first true crime episode, and we wanted to add a little disclaimer at the top. So this week I'll be covering a case that involves the kidnapping, sexual assault, and abuse of a young teen girl. We fully understand that if hearing stories like this or true crime is not for you, but we hope to see you back again next week, and I hope you have a great day. But for those who choose to listen, buckle up, because this is going to be a wild ride. Good morning, and welcome to Monday Mornings. With Maddie and Morgan. I'm Maddie. And I'm Morgan. Hello. Hey, what's up, friend? Well, not much. Just chilling. What about you? Oh, you know, I'm just really a little scared for your episode. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, it's our first true crime episode. Yeah. And it's um, insane. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, <laughs> I guess I should just jump right into it because it's it's a doozy. It is a doozy, for sure. Well, let me just say that for the uh, first true crime that we're going to be covering, I'm pretty pumped. <laughs> oh, I'm excited, especially because I just watched the documentary today. So Yeah. <laughs> So this week, I'm going to be covering the wild abduction and abuse of Jane Broberg by a terrible gross man named Bob B. Birchtold. For the purpose of the story, we're going to be calling Bob Birchtold B because that's what they refer to him a ton throughout the documentary. And it's just easier because there's a lot of B names in this. So if he's just B, it's easiest. So... You may know about this case if you have seen the amazing documentary, Abducted in Plain Sight. It was re-released on Netflix in 2019, and not gonna lie, I think I have actually seen this about four different times, (laughs) which is a lot. (laughs) I've only seen it once. (laughs) Considering, like, all the stuff that happens in this, it's a lot to watch that many times, but, like, I think I notice something different every time, so... We're going to try to do this story of justice. So, Jan Broberg was born in 1962 to Bob and Mary Ann Broberg and grew up in Pocatello, Idaho with her two younger sisters, Karen and Susan. But our story starts in June of 1972 when the Broberg family met the Birchtold family. The Birchtold family had just moved to town, and the families met each other through church, which is LDS or Latter-day Saints or the Mormon Church or whichever you prefer. Um, (laughs) Yep. So the families got along very, very well from the very beginning. The Brobergs had three kids, and the Birchtolds had five kids that were all around, like, very similar ages. I'm not super sure of the Birchtold children's names since they weren't involved in the documentary i think only one of them was mentioned in the podcast that i listened to and i could probably easily find them but it did feel icky to me since um they were left out in every other source so Mm -hmm. i don't like they were all children when this happened and they chose not to be in the documentary so it feels inappropriate to (laughs) expose them i guess um but Mrs. Birchtold was mentioned in it. She does not, she's not involved at all in the documentary or anything thereafter. But her name is Gail Birchtold. And she does have a small sp- part in this story. But mostly overall, I feel like the whole Birchtold family was also victims to this whole ordeal. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. So let's just get into this. Throughout the documentary, there are voice recordings um of B talking and a bunch of them include Gail or Mary Ann and also Jan. It's gross, but I guess that was the 70s and people were super into voice and audio journaling. He was really into auto audio journaling. And one of the first of these recordings that they play is B saying, quote, I knew that I had found the little girl I was looking for, which is truly fucking vomitous. I got Literal chills. And that's like in the first minute of the documentary. Yeah. And these some of these recordings are just like truly disgusting. And in the podcast I listen to, they talk more about it. And it's just... Uh, but... Yeah. So, 
I will touch later on the fact that, yes, B was a serial pedophile, but the word pedophile wasn't, like, really commonly used or understood back then, which is also brought up a whole bunch throughout the film. Um, According to Bob Broberg, the family's quote just clicked. I was in business, and I had a family. He had a business, and he had a family. So (laughs) I guess that all that some men need for friendship (laughs) (laughs) is to have a family in business (laughs) but the families were very very close B would drive all the kids to school every day and they would all cheer it's gonna be a great day every morning (laughs) (laughs) he was the fun dad but he did have a weird attention towards Jan which did annoy Marianne and Bob and he also started calling Jan Dolly or my Dolly which was disgusting. Ugh. Yeah, hated it. <laughs> so Bob owned a flower shop and B owned a furniture store. And one day in the fall of 1972, B called Marianne at home and asked her to bring him a lunch since she he forgot his. Which, like, my dude, just go buy your own lunch. You're an that adult. That's very weird to me. Yeah, and the fact that she did it, and it's also just like, why aren't you calling your wife? Right. Or like, Why are you calling your friend's wife to bring you lunch? <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know. Call the restaurant down the street and ask them to bring you lunch. I don't, just, mm. But <laughs> after this would keep happening occasionally and he would flirt with her hardcore. Uh, this made her feel really good about herself, which I don't blame her for. Like, I love attention as well. <laughs> But this became a frequent occurrence, and she started to catch feelings for B. At one point, Mary Ann and B went on a church trip together in Utah, and I guess there was an overnight, and things got a little bit out of hand. She said they started kissing and hugging, but that was the extent of their affair. So they went home and tried to return things back to normal. And this is when Bob, I mean, B, confides in Bob on a car ride one day. So B asks Bob to go for a ride, and he discloses that he does not have a great marriage, stating, quote, I can't stand my wife, and I need to have sex. Yikes. <laughs> Which is when Bob notices that B has a boner, and then asks Bob to give him relief, adding that it's just kid stuff. I have so many issues with this and I can't even get into it just because, like, it's not the main purpose of this. But, like, the internet did kind of shit on this man for this whole issue. Um, And Bob does go through with it. And he said, quote, I did the worst thing I've ever done as far as breaking the trust and fidelity that I had with my wife. And it's actually really sad since you can see how truly upset that he is that he fell for B's bullshit and that he was unfaithful to his wife and... It's a common theme throughout the documentary that, like, Bob Broberg is, like, truly very sad that, like, these things happened. And, like, he really just feels kind of stupid that, like, he let these things happen. And I feel bad because, like, obviously what happens is truly terrible, but it's also, like, it's not his fault. In another voice recording, B states, quote, I entered into a homosexual relationship with her father in order to get access to Jan. I had a fixation with her. So this gross man literally just used her parents to get closer to Jan. And of course he did it in the weirdest way possible. Not like, oh, hey, like, let's go, like, shoot guns together or, like, cook in the grill. Like, I don't know. Like, there's other activities you can do to bond with a man. (laughs) Yep. <laughs> Definitely. They also briefly interview a neighbor uh, named Cor Hoffman. He was apparently invited on a boat trip with the Birchtolds, and Jan was there. And he was not fond of this trip. He said that he suspected something was amiss, and basically at that point decided that it was the last time he would do anything with the Birchtolds because he has no need for them. And I respect it. He saw that this man was being creepy and, like, weirdly obsessed with a child. So (laughs) he said, I'm good. (laughs) Uh, They would frequently have sleepovers at the Birch Tolds. And I 
guess they would sleep outside on the trampoline a lot, and this was, like, very common for them all, like, all the Birchold and um, Broberg children. I guess there was one night where Jan woke up and her underwear was around her ankles. She felt B next to her, and he was like, oh, you've been moving around a ton in your sleep. You must have had, like, a bad dream. Are you okay? Are you okay? And she, like, asked him about, like, what was going on, and he was like, oh, you moved a ton. You must have done it yourself. Gross. So that's gross. <laughs> in June of 1973, Jan went on a trip to Seattle with the Birch Tolls. When they came back, they told a bunch of strange stories about Jan acting weird. And they said that one night at dinner, she started to rock back and forth in her seat and was saying very strange things and very just obviously out of it. B took her back to the motel under the guise that he was going to try to help her and put her to bed. Jan said that she was in and out of consciousness in the motel room, but does does remember waking up at one point and seeing B completely naked. Ew. It is also thought that she was probably drugged before dinner to give him an excuse to take her back to the motel alone. Mm. Yeah. So, great. <laughs> um, in the Broberg house, Jan and her sister shared a room that was in the basement of their house. Um... And at some point, B brought up that the girls were getting older and they should have their own rooms, which, like, Jan was the oldest and she was, like, 11 or 12 at this point. So, like, they didn't need their own rooms. Right. Um, girls, too. Yeah, it's, like, it's fine. Like, whatever. So, at some point, um, B decided that he was going to help them out and build a wall. <laughs> in their bedroom to divide the space which was basically just another excuse to be in the house and in Jan's room and as another way to separate Jan a bit more from her family. I feel physically ill. Yeah it like watching it and like it's just sad because they're all like adults now and they're just Mm -hmm. like yeah like he did this and now like we can obviously tell like it was probably because he was just trying to get closer to Jan. And, like, it's just sad because the whole family, like, constantly is just, like, yeah, and he did that to keep her away from us. And it's uh, it's just heart-wrenching mm-hmm. and disgusting. So in this documentary, they're actually able to interview Joe Birchtold, who is B's brother. So Joe is kind of a hero later in our story, but he's also the only person from the Birchfield family that did speak to the filmmakers. He's a character. Oh, yeah. He's <laughs> wild. I liked him a lot, though. Me too. He just kind of flat out comes out and says, like, yeah, my brother was a pedophile. Um, he basically says that B does have a history of abusing young girls. Um a point made throughout all of this is that the pedophile, like, word pedophile wasn't commonly used, and, like, people didn't really expect it back then. Like, you don't just expect, like, oh, this adult man is, like, with some younger girl. Like, oh, he probably, like, has, like, sexual urges towards that. People were probably just like, oh, that's nice. Like, it's eh, not as seen as weird. Um, but Joe says yes, that he knew his brother was a pedophile, and that his um, that B had actually tried to mess around with their younger half sister at one point, Ugh. which is disgusting. Um, B had also tried to get close with other young girls before he met Jan, but the parents had gotten in the way and like cut his access off to their children before anything could escalate the way it did with Jan. Um, if you have seen the abducted in plain sight documentary, then you already know that. This is truly one of the most wild cases, <laughs> but you may not know that there's actually some pretty big details that were left out. Um, so in an attempt to dig a bit past the basic information that's in the documentary, which isn't even just basic information because there's so much in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also listened to the podcast Obsessed with um, Abducted in Plain Sight. It's a podcast from the Obsessed Network. It's posted. It's hosted by Patrick Hines, who is one of the hosts of True Crime Obsessed, and Sky Borgman, who is the director of the documentary. And I did listen to the whole podcast. It's really great. It's really awesome to hear more from Sky Borgman about like deciding what stayed and what didn't. Hearing more like follow up with Jan and the family and how like the documentary being public affected them. 
Um, but if you want to listen to it, just be aware that uh, <laughs> Patrick Hines is a very yelly person. If you know who Billy Eichner is, they sound very similar. Um, so if you've watched Billy on the street <laughs> and like, I had a headache when I was listening to this, so I had my AirPods and he's just yelling and I was like, I really want to listen and know the information, but this man is yelling in my ears, <laughs> but <laughs> it does have a lot of good information in it. So it's definitely worth it, but maybe don't when you have a headache. <laughs> True. So in episode two of the podcast, they discuss one of the major pl- plot lines that wasn't included. And this is actually a pretty disgusting and damning story about B's character. I'm not positive exactly what year it was, but it was after the Brobergs and Birchold became friends. So at one point, B decided that he was going to go to Mexico and adopt a little girl. Oh. Sky shares an interview with Mary Ann where she talks about how Gail really didn't want him to do this. They already had five kids of their own, and now her husband is down in Mexico, hand-selecting a child. Like, bro... You already have five. They play a recording of B talking about going and looking at the girls, and it's disgusting. He says, I walked down the line, and I grabbed each one of the girls who I was interested, chin in my hand, and it's gross. Like, he just talks about, like, holding the face and chin of, like, each little girl that he's interested in, and then, like, finally narrowed it down to two, and, like, he had hired an attorney while he was down there to help him out with this whole process. He ended up picking one girl named Rose Maria, who ended up actually getting taken from him at the border, thankfully. Good. Um, And it truly is gross. His brother even says that he did not want to adopt this little girl to love her, but to molest her. Ew. Yeah. So, according to the FBI, in January of 1974, Birchold was reprimanded by the High Council of the Church of Latter-day Saints because of his involvement with another young girl. So, the LDS Church decided to counsel him on this behavior, but he also was going to see a counselor in California. He told Bob and Marianne that he was getting counseling for abuse because he that he had suffered as a child and that he had had sex with an aunt at age four. Which, if that's true, that is extremely disturbing. Um, but I'm not sure. So, B told them that part of his therapy was spe- to spend time alone with um, their daughters. Which is disgusting. So, of course, he said that they could call his therapist to check with him. But they're like, no, it's fine. Let's get it. We get it. Therapy's weird. Like, whatever. Like, again... They really didn't know what therapy was or, like, any of this stuff. So they were like, yeah, I guess that's fine. So basically, he would crawl into Jan's bed at night and lay down next to her. He listened to these gross tape recordings that this so-called doctor made for him. It's also a good thing to note that this man is not a licensed psychologist. So Of course. If you have already guessed that. (laughs) Um, But he would give Jan different pills that he would call, like, vitamins or her allergy pills, which we now know are... Definitely a sleeping pill. Um, he did this so that he could easily molest Jan while she was while he was listening to these gross tapes, which I'm not going to quote, but you can hear them in the documentary. They're disgusting. Um, B slept in Jan's bed about four times a week for like six months, oh right until God. he kidnaps her for the first time. So yes. This girl's kidnapped more than once. Um, Quote, there were so many red flags. Bob talks about how he had no idea that B had sexual desires towards children. And again, this poor dad, he just is constantly, like, beating himself up about what he should have done and, like, how he shouldn't have let this man in their lives, all this stuff. But, ugh, I feel bad for him. So, on October 17th, 1974, B asked Marianne if he could take Jan horseback riding, which she said no, because Jan had piano lessons. Jan begged her mom to go, and they ended up coming to an agreement. B would pick Jan up from her piano lesson and take her to go horseback riding, and then have her back before dinner time. So, when B picks her up, he gives Jan what he claims are her allergy medication, 
and then they leave. Jan passes out pretty quickly and has essentially no memory of the drive. Um, as you could guess, they were not home for dinner. Gail goes over to the Burrowberg home around 9 p.m., and they chat or mostly just worry that something bad may have happened, but they were hopeful that they'd return the next day. Next day, still nothing. They think about calling the police, but they're like, no, it's fine, just be, must be coming back soon. So when the weekend comes around and she's still not back, the Brobergs decide to finally call the FBI. But since it's a Saturday, the FBI wasn't open. What? <laughs> the FBI was not open on the weekends. <laughs> so they say, if this is an emergency, please call the Southern number. But Marianne's like, well, it's not an emergency. We know who she's with. So they wait. Oh, my God. And let me just, I'm just going to add this really quick right here. If I was in the Birchtold family and my dad just up and left with some other kid, I'd be pretty pissed. Like, poor Gail is home alone with five kids. (laughs) And these kids are all just like, okay, dad likes his other kid better than us. Like, if you don't know, like, why he's doing this, you're like, okay, cool, dad. Like, I'm your actual child. Yeah, what the hell? Ugh. Just so many issues with this man. Like, why'd you have five kids of your own? Like, I just don't get it. Whatever. Why did you Why did you reproduce in the first place? Yeah. Mm. If you're a pedophile, maybe just, like, don't do that because then your children are a hard time. I don't know. Just stay away. Um, <laughs> so, five days after B and Jan disappear... Pete Welsh uh, is assigned at the FBI is assigned to the case. And I like this man a lot. And this case must have been a doozy for him because he gets real pissed <laughs> at the Brobergs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Welsh Welsh goes and talks to both the Brobergs. Oh my god, Brobergs and Gail Birch told. He learns that B is a pillar in the community. And if you've listened oh. to any other true crime podcast, which is base that's basically just a requirement to be a criminal. Uh, Isn't it? And that's why we drink who says pillar to killer. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> um so both families did not suspect any foul play. They just thought that something weird must have happened. And when Welsh speaks to Gail, he learns of a motorhome that the Birch Tolds had in a storage unit. So the FBI says, Well, she it. They go out to the storage unit and will she it again because the motorhome is gone. Shocking. Yeah. This is when they had to literally explain to the Brobergs that B had kidnapped Jan. They weren't just like on an extended trip. Jan was straight up kidnapped by this man. It took a lot for that to like go through their head. They just like couldn't believe that this was actually happening. I just wanted, watching the documentary, I just wanted to, like, shake them by their shoulders and be like, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, and it's just, like, it's so sad. Like, they talk about it in the podcast about how, like, important it was for Jan to, like, end up telling, like, her story and, like, the parents to talk to her about what they were going through, too, because it just kind of makes the whole story come together, because considering Jan was a young teen at the time, like, she only remembers like what she experienced she doesn't know like what her parents dealt with either so it's a very complex issue but (laughs) Mm -hmm. okay so the fbi ends up locating b's car which is very obviously staged to look like they were taken they found blood on the window from where b had broken it but he had broken the window from the inside out um, outside right. of the car, they found one set of footprints and a set of tire tracks where it is safe to assume that B carried Jan from the car to the motorhome. And this case was now a mi- nationwide missing, person- missing persons and kidnapping case. For weeks, the authorities had legitimately no clue as to where they went. So Jan oh wakes up in a dark moving bed with her wrists and ankles restrained. She sees a weird white box, which starts to talk to her in a weird voice. And that is when she knew that she had been kidnapped by a UFO. 
plot twist. <laughs> yeah, so this is when Morgan Snapchats me last night going, what? <laughs> I did not know there were aliens involved. <laughs> and I think that's just what makes this case so much more special is the fact that, like, not only was he just, like, a terrible, terrible person and, like, a pedophile and, like, a serial molester and, like, child abuser, he went to the extent to make up these aliens. Yeah. And it's just, mm, I'll get into it. <laughs> so she was in and out of sleep a bunch, and the box starts talking again. These aliens identify themselves as Zeta and Zethra. They tell her that she is actually part alien and that her dad is not actually her dad. They said that they had taken her so that she could complete a mission that would save the alien planet. This mission was to have a child with a male companion by the time that she turned 16. And if she didn't, they would take her sister Susan, who was also part alien. Which was just another weird twist. Like, not her sister Karen, just her sister Susan. Just Susan. Um... (laughs) Jan is eventually told that it's time for her to go meet her male companion. She walks out of this room, and lo and behold, there is B. Um, He is essentially fake sleeping slash passed out with blood and cuts and scrapes on him. Like he had been abducted. Yeah. (laughs) She, like, tries to, like, help him back up, and he's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And he's like, eh. I hate him so much. dramatics. So he comes to and tells her this wild story of a bright white light that must have been what took them. She realized it was him that she was supposed to have a child with. So, of course, she thought this was weird, but she was also just told that she was part alien. So (laughs) Also weird. (laughs) Yeah, so she was like, okay, well, this is weird, but I'm also an alien. I think in the documentary she says, well, that's weird, but I guess I'm weird now, too, so... (laughs) It's just, ugh, this poor child. He opens up some cabinet, and I guess there's some books about sex that he reads with her. Then the box told her to go and do what makes people happy or something gross along those lines. But she knew that that meant that she needed to go sleep with him. Um, In her interview, Jan talks about how she thinks that she was drugged for most of this. And... I honestly hope that she was, so she doesn't have to remember most of this. There are more details in the documentary, but, again, not for me. No, not for us to say out loud. No, it's, it's, no. So, on November 20th, 1972, 35 days after Janet's kidnapped, B calls his brother Joe. B says that he needs to get permission from the Brobergs to marry Jan, because they were married in Mexico, and he needed parental consent for them to be married back home. What the fuck? Of course, her parents hear this, and they say, Hell no. <laughs> you bring our child back now. So, Joe, being the hero of this story, finds out where B is exactly, and contacts the FBI to help bring Jan home. Yes, Joe. Yes, So the Mexican police broke down the motorhome door and brought them to a prison to wait for Bob and Marianne. B ended up bribing one of the guards in this prison to bring Jan by giving to bring Jan to his cell by giving him his gold watch. So this guard brought her to his cell where he said to tell her family that he just wanted to take her on vacation and that he took it too far for too long. He told her that he talked to the aliens Zeta and Zethra and they said they can't talk about them or the, quote, relaxing pills, or the, quote, mission, or any of their sexual encounters. He told her not to have any contact with other men, including her dad, because if she did, her sister Karen would go blind, and they would remove her dad. By remove, they meant that they would kill Bob. Um, He also told Jan that they would take her sister Susan, and even vaporize Jan if she said anything to anyone. Vaporize? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) which I guess he said, um, like, he threatened that this vaporizing would take her life and her spirit or soul. And since, like, she was raised, like, very religious, that was terrifying to her. Because at least, like, if you die, you still have a soul that can go on to, like, whatever your religion believes. (laughs) So, the Brobergs flew out to go get Jan 
and bring her home from Mexico. Sadly, Jan's main concerns were all focused towards B. She said, what about B? They will do something bad to him. And I'm fine. We were on vacation. We have to take him. Bob knew that something was wrong with her. She wouldn't sit near him on the flight home, which was probably heartbreaking. Like, you get, finally get your kid back after, like, about, like, over a month of her being missing, and she won't even speak to you. That's gotta suck. Yeah. They sent the marriage license back to Mexico to be annulled, and Robert B. Birch told was arrested, obviously. Yeah, thank God. Um, when they got back home, she was examined by a doctor who somehow saw no signs of trauma or sexual abuse. Which, hmm. I don't know, but okay. Um, her sisters didn't fully understand what happened and would ask about her trip and what she did. She would give pretty short answers and was generally pretty standoffish towards her whole family. And Jan was, se- like, intentionally separating herself from her family, knowing that she needed to finish this mission to save this alien planet. Is just sad, mm-hmm. of course, because ugh, it's just trash human. Yeah. So the FBI tells the Brobergs to stay away from the Birch Tolds for obvious reasons, but this did not happen. <clears throat> so one evening, Gail ends up coming over to their house to talk to Bob. She has them dr- asks them to drop all of the charges against B, and if they didn't drop the charges, she was gonna sign. And sign these affidavits, like, that I'll read a few quotes from. Um, Gail said they would expose the affair between B and Bob. The Brobergs didn't want the secret to get out. So they agreed to sign the statements, some of which include, quote, My daughter was not taken by force or against her will, nor was she held or confined against her will at any time while in custody of the defendant. Quote, I honestly believe there is a strong possibility that the defendant was under the impression he had my husband's and my consent to take my daughter with him when he left in October. The fuck? Quote, I had the right under the First Amendment to the United States Constitution to keep these matters within my family. Quote, I feel that these interests of justice and society would not be served by continuing to prosecute this matter. So, this FBI agent is reasonably pissed off since they really fucked any chance of sending this man to prison after signing those papers. Yeah. Yeah, it was not... There's a lot of issues with the ways that the parents handled a lot of things in the situation. And I did go down a few, like, Reddit rabbit holes of people, like, kind of just shitting on her parents. But then, again, when I was listening to the podcast that had the director in it, and I also read a Vanity Fair article um, where they they interviewed her, and she really talks about how, like, she wants to make, like, two more follow-up movies, honestly, like, analyzing how, like, the church had stuff to do with it and all this other things. So it's just, there's a lot going on. It's hard because I feel like we can sit here and talk all day about how stupid the parents were, but, like, none of us have been in that situation. None of us have been in that position where they thought, obviously they thought they were doing the right thing, otherwise they wouldn't have done it, right? Yeah, and, like, in the documentary, you can see, like, how upset, like, her dad is that, like, he let these things happen. Like, you can tell he feels so much. Yeah. And then... Sadly, he did die in 2018, which is, yeah, but, ugh, it's just, I don't know. And there's a part where, in the Vanity Fair article, where Sky Borgman, the um, director of everything, is talking about how, like, they had to take, like, she had to take six weeks off with the editor because they were just getting so frustrated with the parents and with everything about the story, and they were just like, what the heck, so they took a whole bunch of time off, but... She also was talking about how it's important to remember that this is, like, a small town with, um, like, a very religious community, and it's, like, in the 70s, so it was before, like, true crime podcasts and, like, 48 and, like, all of those, like, forensic files and all those things, and it was before, like, SVU and before, like, pedophiles were, like, a huge known thing, Mm -hmm. so I think that's, like, really important to keep in mind, but. Crazy. Yeah, so the U.S. attorney also calls the family and is like, 
what the hell, guys? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so they're, like, pissed, obviously. And they decided they're going to try to go through the trial anyways. But it didn't end up working out because there were no witnesses anymore. Because they were saying that nothing happened, so... Uh, yeah, so they had to postpone the trial of Bob Birchtold, or B, which meant that he was released. And after his release, B moves up to Ogden, Utah, to stay with his brother and help him out in, by working at his car dealership. So Gail and the kids end up staying behind for a while. But don't worry, because B is back every weekend to go to church with his family. And if you may remember, this is the same exact church that the Brobergs and Birch told families met through. So mm-hmm. he's at her church every weekend. Where do they live again? Uh, it's Pocatello, Idaho. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it wasn't long before Jan woke up to the little box in her bed again. Yeah. B appeared in her room one night and talked about the mission with her and that she was doing a good job, but she had to keep it up. She started to get letters from B about how much he loved her and how much he missed her. She, she would get notes to her at school from um, B um, about where and when she should meet him or which phones to wait by for his call. It's disgusting. Like, you want to, like vomit the whole time you watch this because it's just so vile like <laughs> yeah uh so again just goes to show how relentless this gross dude was but also how deep his hold over her family and probably a good chunk of the community was as and that's why we drink says pillar to killer yes <laughs> pillar of the community to killer <laughs> yeah red flag <laughs> literally Ugh. I love them so much. Hate B. Love. And that's what we drink. Um, <laughs> so in the spring of 1975, B would call Marianne basically every day and tell her that he loved her. She finally asks him at one point why he married Jan. And he said that if she came to visit him, he would talk to her about it. So one day after work, Marianne went out to his motorhome to talk. He told her that he loved her a lot and that they could have a great life if she just got a divorce. Which is like, bro. This is awesome. Just be alone. (laughs) He's just literally fucking every member of this family. And it's also like he has a wife at this point still. He has a whole freaking family. You have a wife and five kids. Go home. (laughs) I'd like to hear Gail's perspective. Yeah, unfortunately, like we don't get that Which, but. i don't blame her if i was her i would completely disappear if i had anything yeah. if i was even remotely associated with this man oh yeah so as they sat in his motorhome talking he held her hand and was stroking her leg and then this is where marianne says one thing led to another and <laughs> they slept together ah. great <laughs> ah. So a few days later, B calls Bob and tells him all about it. My God. <laughs> Which is so great. <laughs> so Marion and B's affair ends up lasting for about eight months. This involves several visits to him and him coming to see her and the family. He even spent the night at least twice during this time. That was when Bob filed for divorce. For, for divorce against Marianne. He took the kids to dinner in town over that night um, when Marianne was being served the divorce papers. He filed for divorce not because she was actively having an affair, but because this was putting their children in danger by allowing B to be near them. Mm-hmm. He kind of just like took his kids out to dinner, sat them down, and was like, all right. <laughs> I'm filing for divorce. And they like, obviously like none of them wanted that. But so a few days later, B called and told him that he was going to lose his wife and children after also attempting to convince Marianne to take the kids, move closer to him and leave her husband. Which like, 
Bob was filing for divorce to protect her kids. Like, there's no way that she would get the kids. <laughs> right. Eh. So, eventually the Brobergs work things out and call off the divorce after Marianne promises to get B out of her life for good. Now, 20 months after the kidnapping of Jan, B was finally able to be charged with the kidnapping felony and have a trial. B ends up getting sentenced to five years in jail, which is then dropped down to just 45 days in jail, which he had three months to report to jail for his, like, jail sentencing. Like, he didn't have to go for three more months. Before these three months were up and before B would go to jail, he would move out to Jackson Hole and buy and open a family fun center. Which is such a good idea for a convicted felon and known pedophile to open up a water park slash family fun place full of tons of young girls. Ugh. I hate it so much. Ugh. Yeah. So in the summer of 1976, Jan very badly wanted to go work at this family fun center, to which Bob said, absolutely not, baby girl. Um, which, thank God. <laughs> but since Jan was so focused on this goddamn alien mission, she made it her personal mission to go stay with B. She became an angry and miserable child. One day, B called Marianne to tell her that Jan was going to hitchhike her way to Jackson Hole. So, of course, Marianne doesn't want this, so she put Jan on the next flight out to Jackson Hole. Marianne, what the fuck? Yeah, this is a part where it's, like, I understand that your child is being, like, demon spawn right now, but <laughs> don't put her on a plane <laughs> to go to her. Psychopaths. Every single person <laughs> in this story is a psychopath. I can't handle it. Like, it eventually gets a little bit better, but it gets worse first. <laughs> it always does. Yeah. So, Jan's a... Jan ends up getting to Jackson Hole and stays with B in his motorhome. B tells her that he is getting a divorce from Gail and mentions that because of this, they would be able to get married. After a two-week stay with B, he put her back on a plane to Salt Lake, where Marianne brought her back home. On the morning of August 10th, 1976, Jan never came up from her room for breakfast. When they went downstairs, they found a letter written in Jan's handwriting that started, Dear Bob and Mary Ann. Ew. Yeah. Which, like, <laughs> I'm sorry. If you're running away, you don't, I don't know. Like, that's just so weird. Uh, <laughs> of course, obviously, they said this note didn't sound like it was written by her at all and was obviously, oh, yeah. sure, dictated by B. <laughs> So the Brobergs get a phone call from B where he tells them that he doesn't know where Jan is, but that she had just called him. After about two to three days without any word from Jan and people started asking where she was, the Brobergs decide that they're just going to tell anybody who asks that she was at her grandmother's house. They didn't want people to hear that Jan had gone missing for a second time. Why didn't they just call the police? I don't understand. I don't know. <laughs> okay, I I have lost my... I was trying to be sympathetic, and I've lost my sympathy. It's gone. <laughs> it's gone. It's just like... Oh, my God. But, yeah, Jim Broberg has now been abducted twice out from under the nose of her parents. <laughs> uh. Uh, so... <laughs> This time, the Brobergs waited two whole weeks before they called the FBI. Jesus Christ. So, of course, the detectives are a little bit peeved, mm -hmm. but they interview B, who tells them that he doesn't know where she is, but that he is heartbroken that she has disappeared. Ugh. Yeah, these agents and officers know from the jump that B is everything to do with her disappearance, but they just don't have evidence yet. <laughs> I mean, maybe we know this just from watching all these documentaries and listening to all these true crime podcasts, but if you look at a picture of him, he looks 
like your stereotypical serial killer. Yeah, like if he walked into the coffee shop I worked at, I probably would tell the high schoolers to go in back and be like, this man's going to kill someone. <laughs> like, yeah. He, he looks like a- he's a kidnapper. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Uh, yeah. So on September 1st, B went to start his jail sentence. At this time, Jan had been missing for three weeks. Unfortunately, B only ends up staying in jail for 10 out of his 45 days because of good behavior or some other bullshit. The fuck? Yeah. Like. <sighs> so once he gets out after literally 10 days, he moves his motorhome to Salt Lake City and eventually just kind of disappears or like falls off of the radar of the FBI. So although he is MIA to the FBI, he calls Marianne at their house almost every day. She does not actually want to take his calls, but the FBI convinces her to keep answering them and they set up a recorded device on the line. I feel like he kept calling them just to torment them even more. He literally called them for about like three months Telling them that he has no idea where Jan was. Right. If you don't know, then stop. He would literally call. And, like, the recordings are in the documentary. And some of them are just, like, really disturbing. But he calls and he's just like, hey, I just got off the phone with Jan. I don't know where she is. I feel like it just, it's so disturbing because he tries, he's talking to um, Bob and Marianne. Like, it's a normal, like, conversation. Yeah, like, they just have to go along with it. He's just calling to chat. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, oh my god. And he calls and he's like, hey, yeah, so I just want, like, me and Jan still want to get married and we still want to be together. She's a child. Like, back up, sir. Again, gross. <laughs> <sighs> so yeah, the recordings in this documentary are extremely hard to listen to. Um... Mostly just because it's, like, him, and you can, like, tell that he thinks he's getting away with all of this, and that, like, he thinks he's gonna get to marry this 13-year-old girl, and it's just gross. And there's also just, like, a lot of sad recordings of Marianne crying and begging for B to tell her something, and then he'll, like, threaten back and be like, if you're setting me up, I'm gonna kill you. Like, dude, maybe you shouldn't have kidnapped her child twice. Maybe don't be a huge fucking creep. Yeah. And there is one phone call that they play in the doc, that documentary, not doc, sorry, that's what my notes say. (laughs) (laughs) They do that all the time. (laughs) Ah! (laughs) But they play this one call that's in the documentary, and it's so sad. It's Jan calls the house, and one of her sisters answers. Her mom gets on the phone, and they're all super, super emotional. And then you can, like, the mom's on the phone, and she's, like, kind of frantic, and then she's all of a sudden, she's like, oh, my God, your dad just pulled in the driveway. Like, can you stay on the phone for, like, another minute just to say hi to him? And then he gets on the phone, and, oh, my God, I cried. It was emotional. It was, like, just so much. And it was so, like, Jan just sounds completely normal. Yeah, she's like, hey, guys, I miss you. Oh, my God, I love you guys so much. But, like, she doesn't really know what's going on. In November of 1967, they find B's motorhome and end up putting it under 24-7 surveillance. He talks to the cops at one point, and he tells the cops that he has no idea where Jan is. But when they enter his motorhome, they're a little shook. Because B has massive portraits of Jan all over the place. Ew! Yeah, like... They're, like, normal pictures of her and stuff, but there's, like, pictures from, like, plays and stuff she's in and, like, pictures where he, like, dressed her up and, like, it's just gross. Ew. It's basically just a shrine to I Jan. It used to be a fucking creep. Yeah. Ugh. So, on November 11th, Agent Surveilling B notice he stops at a payphone. And after he leaves, they go into the payphone and see a phone book that is open with a number written on the page, because he's a dumbass. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Not telling people how to kidnap and properly do any of these things, but, like, maybe don't write down the phone number that you're calling to on the phone book. Like, put it on a piece of paper and take it with you. 
<laughs> yeah, he's not a very good criminal. No. So they end up tracking down this number and find out that it's to an all-girls Catholic boarding school in California. So they contact the school and try to find out if Jan is there or not. She's not. Or so they think. Or so they think. <laughs> the FBI end up explaining the whole situation and they find out that she's actually enrolled in the school, but under the name Janice Tobler. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'm just going to briefly tell you the story of the night of her kidnapping. So basically, the night that Jan was kidnapped for the second time, B appeared at her window, helped her out and write the note and everything. And that's when they drive to California. When they got to the boarding school, he tells them that he is actually a CIA agent. <laughs> okay. But yeah, so him saying he's a CIA agent is wild, and this allowed him to have a nice little way to have no questions asked and also get the school to not say anything for, to anybody that's looking around. So the day after the FBI finds all of this out, they arrest B again for violating his parole and kidnapping. <laughs> yeah. The night of January 24th, 1977, the Broberg family gets a call that Bob's flower shop is on fire. This oh, no. is another really emotional part of the documentary. Um, they're standing outside of the burning flower shop, and Bob puts his arms around his whole family. Jan tells a story of him doing this and says that he does this and says, let it burn, let it burn. Everything that matters to me is right here in my arms. God. Yeah. Back then, she thought that everything was her fault, that the aliens made this happen because she wasn't working towards the mission. But Bob knew that B was behind this, and he was right. B apparently, I guess, paid some guys a thousand bucks to burn down the flower shop. Why? So, just because he's such a freaking pain in the ass. Like, <laughs> yeah. dude, stop. <laughs> So they just were to... everybody's life living hell. Yeah, like, just go home. Just leave. Just, I don't know, like, go get a dog or something. Yeah. Ugh. So, B wasn't able to get charged with the fire, but he was charged with a whole slew of other things. And he ends up getting acquitted of arson due to mental defect. Womp womp. Womp womp. <laughs> so... Just to make sure we're all on the same page here. This pile of heart garbage has now gotten away with arson, impersonating a CIA agent, and two kidnappings, to name a few. According to the FBI agent in the documentary, B should have served at least 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, Bob Birchtold was court-ordered to a mental health facility in June of 1977 and then released less than six months later. Which I don't love. I feel like if you can be released from a mental health facility six months after you burn down somebody's flower shop and kidnap their child for a second time and impersonate a CIA agent... Yeah, maybe you just shouldn't be out in society. Yeah, and, like, I get that if they decide that he's mentally fit to rejoin society but then he should have to go and go to jail for his crimes right <laughs> you don't just get to go to therapy for a while and live as a free person he should have done that beforehand mm -hmm. and not the therapy where he got a tape recorder from some creep in california so as jam was getting older she could feel b losing interest in her and he stopped contacting her as much but one summer, she really, really wanted to go to this acting camp. Her parents were a little bit nervous about letting her go. And not going to lie, when I was watching this the first time, I thought she was about to get abducted for the third time in that documentary. Yeah. Honestly, why wouldn't you? That seems to be the pattern. Yeah, So, but they end up sending her away to acting camp, and she loved it. Jan ends up meeting a boy that she likes, and he gives her an ice cream cone. A but boy for age? What? A boy her own age. Yeah, a boy her own age. Not a 50-year-old dude. Yeah, shares an ice cream with her. That's Then, sadly, she immediately thought something bad was going to happen. Oh. Since that's what the aliens and B had told her. 
So shortly after getting this ice cream, she's talking on the phone with her mom, and her mom's telling her all about how their dogs have been acting strange, and she thinks that they might be sick. So, of course, Marianne doesn't know that this is going to, like, send Jan off, but Jan all of a sudden starts freaking out, thinking that it's all her fault from straying from the mission. She took an ice cream cone from a cute boy her age, and now her dogs are going to die, is what she thinks. God. Yeah. But luckily, the next day, her mom calls her and says, oh, don't worry about the dogs. They're all fine now. And so this is when Jan has a brief thought of, wow, everything's fine. Everything's okay. Maybe these aliens aren't even real. Then immediately thinks, just kidding. I know you guys are real. Like, as if they could. Child to therapy. Yeah, like, it's sad. And, like, I know her parents didn't know, like, any of what was going on with her like they didn't know any about like the aliens and the brainwashing and all this other shit but it's it's sad and here comes another rough part but oh god so her 16th birthday comes and jan thinks i'm going to get a gun and tell susan about the mission and if she doesn't want to do it then i'm going to kill her and then myself but for fortunately for everybody involved (laughs) Jan woke up the next day after her birthday and everything was normal and everything was fine, which I guess like caused this revelation and all of these emotions to just come pouring out of her because she just at that moment realized that she's fine, everything's going to be okay, and the aliens probably aren't real. Right. So this is when she feels this extreme like need to talk to somebody about everything but she just didn't know who or how or when or whatever so she ends up telling her best friend and her sisters which is good because her sister karen convinces her to tell her parents about everything which she does and it takes her like two hours to tell them everything since she's being so much and so much happened (laughs) yeah and they didn't ask for details because I think that they could assume what could happen, but also, like, the parents didn't really want to know absolutely everything that he did to her, which I understand, but people on Reddit were like, that's so messed up that they don't want to know what, like, happened to their kid, blah, 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 and, like, I think you have to understand that this is a very different, like, culture and religion, too, like, Mm-hmm. They also just don't. Oh know. yeah, I forgot they were Mormon. Yeah, and it's also just something like they probably just couldn't handle knowing that and knowing that they oh. like let it happen. I mean, it is their responsibility because they let it happen. They should probably know what they did. Yeah, but... I agree with that. They really, they really should. I feel bad because like obviously like they're all fine now, but it's just they're not. They're victims too, but. Yeah, they're victims too. Complicated. It's just such an agitating case because every corner there's something new. And every time I read more about it, I was like, when did that happen? How is this man such a shitty person? Like, how did he have the time? (laughs) Exhausting. (laughs) Being such a scumbag. Yeah. Jan said that after the first kidnapping b had tried to engage with her sexually at least 200 times oh my god that's gross like Ah. i hate it so 28 years later jan now speaks publicly about being brainwashed and abducted by a trusted adult she talks about her story and discusses her mother's book stolen innocence which they wrote together they talk about the book and how writing that really opened up both sides of the story and help them all heal. But unfortunately, since he has to ruin everything, B started to show up at events that they were speaking at. Ugh. He yells at them, saying that they're lying and threatens them a few times. Just super classy things. Do they not have, like, a restraining order on him or something? <laughs> they didn't at that time yet. I bet so they did they- after that. <laughs> yeah. So he also wrote a book in response to their book. Oh, but Sky, the movie director, said that they had a really hard time finding even pieces of it and that it was more of, like, a weird manifesto. Yeah. It got to the point that Jan did have to file stalking charges against him, and since he's a piece of shit, he contested this, 
So after not seeing him for 30 years, Jan had to go see his dumb face in court. Oh, my God. Pretty sure he represents himself in court as well. Of course, all psychopaths do. (laughs) (laughs) That's just, like, part of the story. (laughs) Literally, yeah. So in court, he grills her about how it must have been a goal to make a whole bunch of money off this book, to which she says that he has no soul and that the purpose of the book is to let the world know about what he did to her. She ended up getting the stocking conjunction for the rest of his life, not the normal three years that it is usually given for. Because, yes, you do have to re-up your restraining orders and, like, stocking charges and stuff on people every few years. If you would like to not see them, you have to go back to court and get it upheld again. I have a lot of issues with America's justice system, and that's one of them. That's a story for another day. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) Also, just getting a restraining order is absurd, but. Bikers Against Child Abuse, or BACA, um, were at an event that Jan was speaking at. And they see B roll up in his car. He stops outside of the event when one of the bikers kind of just, like, jumps on the hood of his car. And okay. <laughs> B ends up like driving and hitting the man. It was a weird situation. Like they just kind of like brushed over the fact that a man jumped in the car and then it was weird, but whatever. Um, B ends up getting charged with three felonies and two misdemeanors after this. He also had a gun on him, which is super illegal. Yeah. Because he's a felon. <laughs> <laughs> If you've been to jail, you can't own a gun anymore, guys. <laughs> Is it just if you've been to f- if you're a convicted felon or if you've been to jail? Um, I think if you've been like convicted of anything that's like a felony, like I don't know if you have to go to jail for it. Like if you gotcha. go to jail for like a misdemeanor, like you're not gonna Yeah, that's what I was asking. If you go to da- jail for a misdemeanor and not a felony. If I don't know, honestly. I mean, I know people who have been charged with misdemeanors, and, I mean, they don't go to jail for that because it's, like, fake IDs and stuff, which, like, the half of college students have, and most people know somebody who's had one. Mm-hmm. But if you get caught with that, it's a misdemeanor, and you don't get your right to bear arms taken away, and you don't go to jail usually. Right. I don't know that much about this. <laughs> uh, I'll go to law school one day, maybe. <laughs> That'd be wild. work. <laughs> so he was found guilty on all of these charges and was told to return to court a week later for sentencing b's brother joe said that b felt if he got even one day in jail it would kill him probably the other inmates would kill him for being a pedophile um so that night he went home took all of his heart medication drank kalua with milk and died what a fucking coward yep So, since writing about their story, speaking publicly, and the release of Abducted in Plain Sight on Netflix, Jan has been contacted by at least six other women saying that they were also sexually abused or assaulted by B. Oh my god. Yeah, this is all as children. In one case, he had been found guilty of raping a child, but only spent one year in jail. What the fuck? Mm Mm-hmm. In a Vanity Fair interview... With Sky Borgman, which is the article that I mentioned earlier, and I'm going to have to link it, obviously. Um, She talks about how one of the victims reached out and told them about how B had used a similar alien story on her. He had told this victim that she was a princess from a different planet. None of the other victims wanted to speak publicly or be interviewed or anything for the documentary, but it really just goes to show how in tent birch told was on getting a young girl like he went to mexico to adopt a young girl like and it's just also like terrifying because you can see how easily he manipulated adults yeah all his children good old sociopath yeah so i really wanted to go into even more detail about after the documentary um was released like the aftermath follow-up a whole bunch of stuff And this is already going to be 
pretty long, so I'm thinking that we're going to have to do a mini-sode follow-up sometime. Yeah, definitely. Because there's also just, like, so much more that, like, Sky Borgman sounds like such an awesome person. Like, I want to see more things that she's directed <laughs> now. So if you want to know more about this wild case, I highly suggest the documentary. On, it is still on Netflix. The Four Past Four Part Podcast by True Crime Obsessed. Um, and this Vanity Fair article that I'll add to our sources document. But, yeah, that's the case of the week. <laughs> Great job. <laughs> Thank With you. our first true crime episode. Yeah, I wanted to, I mean, me and Morgan are both huge true crime fans, and so it was inevitable that we would do one Monday. <laughs> Yeah. But I wanted to hit the ground running with a wild one, I guess. <laughs> sure did. This case makes me so angry. It's just, just so hard to I'm wrap your brain. Full of rage right now. <laughs> oh yeah. That's like it took me so long to do these notes because I had to just keep taking breaks from being like, I can't even like yeah. it's just there's so much. <laughs> Well, I hope we didn't traumatize you guys too much. Yeah. Don't listen to us. <laughs> um, yeah. Stay tuned next Monday and every Monday for new episodes. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. We're on Instagram at Monday Mornings Pod, on Twitter at Monday Mornings P, and we have a Facebook page. If you have questions or topics that you would like to have covered in a future episode, feel free to DM us, but you can also email us at mondaymorningspod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. Please. 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 <laughs> I said please. Please. <laughs> Start your Monday mornings the right way with Maddie and Morgan.